Amen. If you get if you'd get your Bibles tonight, First John chapter three and number four. So excited about continuing our series, our undercover, or um, learning how to live under the protection of God's protection. And so I'm very excited about this. Excited about teaching it and. Um, I know that we're going to help help people. Who who doesn't want to be under God's protection? Amen. Amen. Who wouldn't want um, to be hid in the shadow of His wings? Amen. And so um, this this series came out of a book that I have read um, several years ago. Um, I also taught a series about the bait of Satan, which was by the same author. Uh, many of you know him, John Bevere. And so this it stuck with me. I read it. And I couldn't shake it. And over the course of three or four months, I just began to dig into it and, uh, and come up with these lessons. And um, when it comes to um, authority and when it comes to submission and, and the benefits and the pluses that it brings to our life, it's a subject that we need to talk about. It's not always a subject um, that is easy to talk about, especially in our culture um, in, the, in the hour that we live in. But it is a necessity. We need to talk about it and, and because there is a protection that comes comes with making sure that that we are submitted um, to the voices and to the authority that God has put into our life. Nobody will ever get so spiritual or get their ducks in a row um, uh, or so straight that we can ever um, give authority or submission a cold shoulder or a wink and say, I think I got it from here. doesn't matter where you go, no matter how you move up, um, whether it's in the kingdom of God, there's always going to be, there's always going to be someone that you're going to have to answer to. And it's no different for anybody under the sound of my voice tonight, including your pastor. Amen. We all need, we all need a voice in our life, a godly voice um, that can uh, just break through all the rhetoric in our life that we know that's coming from the throne room of heaven and that we give um, that credence to it, that it's not just another voice, that it's not just another opinion, um, but this one matters in my life because God has put this voice um, in my life. Amen. John chapter three, verse number four. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. The message says it like this. All who indulge in, in a sinful life are dangerously lawless. So basically the definition, biblical definition of sin is lawlessness. Someone that does not want restraints, parameters. They, they, uh, the rules do not apply to them. They want to live without um, any absolutes. They want to stay in the gray area. Um, whosoever committed sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. The message says it like this. All who indulge in a sinful life are dangerously lawless, for sin is a major disruption of God's order. Amen. How many know that God is not the author of confusion? He's the, he's the God and the author of, of order. And when we sin, we mess up the order of God. Amen. Luke chapter 14, verse 15. Last portion we're going to read collectively, corporately here tonight. Amen. Luke chapter 14, verse number 15. And when one of them sat at meat with him, heard these things, he said unto them, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, come, for all things are now ready. That was the command, to come, for all things are now ready. 
And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. We know it's an excuse because who buys property without first checking it out and doing their due diligence, amen? Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them, I pray thee have me excused. That's like buying a truck and not driving it before you buy it. Somebody's not being totally truthful. They're, 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 they're making an excuse. And another said, I have married a wife. Oh, my. And therefore, I cannot come. Okay, that may be legitimate right there. Amen. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Come on, let's pull it back together. Showed the Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Now, we're talking about this as a parable, and the Lord's basically saying this is how it is in the kingdom of God when he calls those, marriage supper of the lamb. He's calling those to come, but these people have made made up excuses. They're not in gross sin, but they've just made up an excuse not to obey the call of the Lord or of the master. And so he got angry, and he said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go ye into the highways, into the hedges, and compel them to come in that the, my house may be filled. In other words, the ones that, that had a right to come, the ones that, that had the initial invitation, for some reason they have not obeyed me, they have not honored me, and because of that, I'm now opening the door to those that will start honoring me honoring me and obeying me to come. And they began to fill the house. Verse 24, for I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my, my supper. They had their opportunity, but they did not obey the call. So we're going to talk about the scripture, break it down a little bit more here in just, just a few moments. So I'm going to do my best to stay within the confines of time and uh, make sure that um, uh, I, I won't put more in your mind than what your body can endure. Amen. Lord, we love you tonight. We're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for this time of coming together and iron sharpeneth iron, God. And we're praying that your word would find its place in our heart. Lord, we want to become more like you and honor you in each and every area of our life. We've got to get your word in our heart, in our life, Lord, that we become more like you and that we would not sin against you, Lord. We don't want to just uh, uh, just uh, to, to have any type of knowledge, but God, we want your word inside of our heart. We want to learn. We want to have your principles applied to us. Everybody say in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let's play a short game here just for a few moments. Let's, let's call it the, the psychologist and the patient game. You are the patient reclining on the couch, and I'm the psychologist in the chair behind you. <laughs> All right, let's loosen up a little bit in here tonight. I'll say a word, and then you'll tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Here's the word. Sin. Sin. What came to your mind first? Well, most people immediately think of something sensational. Someone thinks of sin, they think of adultery. They think of fornication. They think of perversion. Um, or some other form of sexual misconduct. They think of a sin that catches our attention. 
Other people, when asked this question, have an image of drunkenness or drug abuse that run through their minds, or perhaps they think about um, gambling or or murder or theft or lying or maybe even uh, witchcraft. It's possible, but not as likely, though, that, that you thought about hatred or lying or envy or unforgiveness, and the list can go on and on. The church world has a popular phrase made up about this kind of thinking that when you think about sin, it goes something um, like this. When you hear about someone that has um, committed or transgressed against the law of God, um, we've kind of sugarcoated it. We've tried to take the sting out of sin. And we say something like this. Well, did you hear about them? He or she fell into sin as if they were walking along and just accidentally stepped into a ditch, accidentally fell into sin. So where did this sin dilemma start? Well, first off, Adam, it started in the garden, but can I tell you that Adam and Eve didn't just simply fall into sin. He didn't jump into bed with a strange woman in the garden, nor did he kill someone in the garden. But Adam's sin was so serious that it brought all of creation into captivity and bondage. I want you to think about that for a moment. What started the poisoning of humanity's bloodstream? What caused every man to be born into sin and shaped in iniquity? Surely it's some sensational sin. Surely it's, it's something that, that, that would be on the front, the headlines of the paper. What was so serious that it brought all of creation into captivity? into bondage. We need to consider Adam's situation when we define sin. For the nature of his transgression spread throughout the veins of the entire human race. What did he do that brought so much destruction on mankind? Simply put, here it is. He was not obedient to what God told him. His sin would have not had come up in on the gossip line. His sin would not have made the front page of the Hebrew Enquirer. His sin was not without bells and whistles. Simply, Adam didn't do what God had asked him to do. For us to be really pleasing to the Lord, we're going to have to narrow our view to what sin really is. We're going to have to really define its core meaning. And if you allow yourself uh, to be led into the deception of just viewing sin in a general sense, It's going to lead to failure in the unprotected areas of your life. You cannot view sin in a general sense and and, and have degrees of sin or different types of the seriousness of sin or God looks at this sin this way and this sin that way and there's different types of punishment for different sins. But you got to get it right to the core and the core of sin is when we disobey what God has told us to do. Whether we think it's large or small, It boils down to doing what God has asked us to do. Let me give you an example. Consider how a child might view the word sick. They would hear the word sick, and they would think of having a temperature more than 98.6 degrees accompanied by coughing or sneezing or perhaps throwing up. You could tell a five-year-old about someone with a terminal illness. You could tell them that they were sick And if they were not coughing or sneezing or vomiting, they would not know the seriousness of the situation. We would say they were both sick, but one of them is fatal. One of them um, is not going to make it. Why? 
because a child has a limited knowledge of sickness. They wouldn't take the cancer serious because they never really understood the core meaning of being sick. That's what happens when we don't really understand and when we want to whitewash sin. As long as my sin is not sensational, as long as my, 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 there's not a lot of collateral damage with my transgression, as long as it's not on the front page of the paper, then, then my sin is manageable. It's not as bad as other people's sin. If you have that general sense of sin, then you're not looking at it clearly. Too many people don't understand the severity of sin. And so they give, um, they give place to the devil in, 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 in it, what, what looks like seemingly small and unprotected areas of, of their life because they have a limited definition of sin. Can I tell you that it's true, the old saying that says that if you give the devil an inch, he'll become a ruler? He's just looking for you a place to give place to the devil. Oftentimes a transgression starts not out by sin itself, by, by opening the door um, uh, towards that which leads to transgression and sin. That's why we got to make sure that we're pointed in the right direction at all times. Amen. I don't want to. I want to have anything in my life that will kind of that that will cause me to miss the mark or will cause me not to keep marching towards the Lord, His purpose and His will for my life. That's why it says we got to lay aside every weight and sin, every weight. We we focus on the sin, but the weight is not necessarily a sin, but it, that it's that which doesn't help me out. It only slows me down. Amen. So I want the broad. I mean, I, 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 I want the definition of sin that covers all of it. Before we can learn here tonight about that core definition, and we're going to move into some other things here, um, but we were talking about um, uh, the authority of God. And we, last week, we talked a little bit about the delegated authority of God. And uh, you, you, you got to first understand God's direct authority or his inherent authority before you're going to let the delegated authority have its real place in your life. To do that, you got to first look at how the scripture defines sin. Let, let's read 1 John 3 and 4 again, our scripture text. For whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. You are practicing lawlessness when you sin. Whether you think it's large or small, it doesn't matter. You are breaking God's law. Sin is lawlessness. I want everybody to repeat this with me. Sin, Sin is, is lawlessness. lawlessness. That's in the most simplistic form. The Greek word for lawlessness is anomia. Thayer's Greek dictionary defines it as the condition of being without law because of ignorance of it or because of simply violating it. Vine says that it is the rejection of the law or the will of God and the substitution of our self-will. We know what God wants, but we remove what God wants and we substitute it with our will and what we want. Simply put, lawlessness means not to submit to the law or to the authority of God. Now that, that's starting to cover a lot of bases right there, right? When I don't submit to God and I don't submit to his law or his authority, then, then I have become lawless in my nature. Remember, Adam... He didn't steal, he didn't lie, he didn't cheat, he didn't even murder someone. But what he did was so egregious that it plummeted humanity into moral decay. He simply disobeyed God. 
Some people would say, well, you know, it's a sin that should not have had very much collateral damage. Let me tell you what, you don't get to determine how far that sin will affect others. Sin is like the pebble being thrown in the middle of the pond. You don't know how far those ripples are going to reach before it's finally played out. So, so humanity was thrown into upheaval and that relationship, that intimacy with God was, was lost for a season because he simply disobeyed God. And many today would say, it's not a big deal. It was only fruit. My friend, it was never about the fruit. It was simply about obeying the Lord. Whether big or small, it's about obeying the Lord. It's like when Samuel came up and, and Saul, and he heard um, the bleeding of the sheep, and he, he, he understood that, that, that I told you, God told you, the inherit, and that I'm the delegated. The delegated authority of God told you to destroy it all, kill the king, and, and kill every living thing. Don't let any of it survive. And, and when Samuel showed up, he saw that that's not what they did. And it was almost as if Saul was taken back by the accurate, look, we've done a good thing here Samuel we've saved the people the people wanted to save the best and I spared the king because you know it's going to benefit us in the Saul was had the same mindset that too many people have today and that is God I obeyed you 99.9% of the time so therefore I got to be all right but what Saul found out that that partial obedience to God is obedience not at all See, we think because we're good in most of the areas that we're okay. But God wants us to check every area of our life, big or small. Saul said, I've done pretty good 99% of my life, but, 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 but I've done this. And Samuel said, then you're lawlessness. You, don't, you, 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 you have disobeyed the voice of God. So people would say, well, it was, only, it was only a piece of fruit, Brother Griffiths. I don't understand the issue. You see, you probably want to write this down. You can take all the different names you have labeled sin and put them under one title. Every sin, every sin. You think about it. Lying and hatred and murder and envy and fornication and adultery and homosexuality. Take all of these sins and and they can fit under one subtitle. In other words, there is only one sin. It's the sin of disobedience. There's only one sin. Every sin ever committed falls under one heading. The sin of of disobedience. As we look at Luke 14, 15, our scripture text, Jesus was eating with some of the people and one of them said, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And the master immediately takes the opportunity to tell who would be eating in the marriage supper of the lamb. He starts by saying that a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servants at supper time to say uh, to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. Now look, they're wanting to know who's going to come eat. And, and the Lord begins talking about the marriage supper of the lamb. Now I want you to understand that, the, that, that many of us would not think their, their excuses were very egregious. But the point was the excuse didn't matter. The, 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 the point of the matter was is they just simply didn't obey and heed the call. In this parable, God's will is spoken. Come, come, for all things are now ready. Notice that this announcement is directed toward those already invited. They've already been invited. He's telling them, now is the time to come. So it's as if he's speaking to those in the bride, those in the church, not unbelievers who have never heard the gospel. To those that already have an invitation, he's now telling them, now it's time to come. The problem is, is that the people began to make excuses for not obeying the call of the master. Come. 
Now, I'm going to modernize this a little bit because I want you to, because we might would justify it a little bit more if what they did was a little more egregious. Just imagine if the first one says, well, I would like to come, but I have a fifth of vodka and a kicking party to go to this weekend. I really want to be there, but you're going to have me, you're going to have to excuse me because I'm probably going to be hung over. The second one says, well, I want an all-expense-paid all trip to Vegas. And on top of that, I have $5,000 to spend on the casinos. I really want to go, um, but I'm not going to be able to come, so please excuse me for not coming. We could justify the anger of the master for someone that had that kind of excuse, right? The third one says, you know, I've fallen in love with another woman, and we're going to take a trip this weekend to Hawaii. Please don't say anything to my wife. She thinks I'm on a business trip, so I can't come. Now, none of the biblical reasons were as sensational as these reasons were. The reasons I just made up were a whole lot more sensational than the ones that were stated in the Bible. But the repercussions were the same. Whether the sin gets your attention or not, it always gets the attention of God. Now, let's really examine each one. The first servant said to the, the, first said to the servant, I bought a piece of ground. Now I have a question before we go any further. Is buying a piece of ground a sin? Well, if it is, a lot of us are in trouble. The answer is no, but you got to look a little bit closer. I bought a piece of ground and I must go see it, so please excuse me. Now, we've established that buying land is not a sin, but when interest and possessions become more important than your immediate submission to the word of God, then it falls under the core definition of sin. The master said, come. You said, I've got a possession i got to go look at. The possession is not wrong, but if possessions make you not obey the word of God, then that possession has become a sin in your life. Amen. So it falls under the core definition of sin, which is disobedience. The man is guilty of lawlessness. He simply would not submit to God's authority because the possession mattered more than the giver of the possession. The next fellow said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to prove them. I'm going to go check them out. Please excuse me from coming. Now I ask again, is buying oxen or any equipment necessary for our livelihood sin? No, of course not. But when industry or business becomes more important than instantly obeying the word or the will of God, it is sin. You have now ventured into the basis form of sin, and that's the sin of disobedience. Remember, Adam did not lie. He did not commit adultery. He did not steal. He did not gamble in the garden. He simply did not do what God asked him to do. That's it. That's it. The last one said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Is taking a wife a sin? I sure hope not. However, when a desire to please your mate becomes more important than submitting to the will of God, it's sin. If you recall, it was Eve that was deceived, but it was a different story for Adam. The word of God says that Adam was not deceived. For Listen to what the word of God says. For as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Eve was deceived. Adam was willful disobedience. Adam disobeyed because his wife had already eaten and she wanted him to do the same. He chose her over submitting to the authority and the will of God. He chose Eve over submitting to what God had asked them to do. Now, in the parable, in the story, Jesus showed how the man also chose his wife over obeying the word of the master or the word of the Lord.
Now, are you ready for this? Now hear what Jesus had to say about those men who made very, very polite excuses but did not submit themselves to the calling voice and the authority of God. Was anything they did egregious? No. It was just the simple comings and goings of life, but they disobeyed the voice of the master. Listen to what he says about these men that are good men in their communities. Listen, for I say unto you that none of these men who were invited shall taste my supper. Now, I don't know about you, but this ought to make us think more soberly about the sin of disobedience. They were barred from the marriage supper of the lamb. Not because of sexual misconduct, not because of drug use, not because of alcohol abuse, but they were barred because they simply did not obey the Lord. Simple disobedience. Now, the sin was not over what they did. It was over what they didn't do. Who did you say asked for me to come? Oh, okay, I'll be right there. That was what should have happened. There's no mention of prostitutes or pimps or drug addicts, liars or thieves. There's nowhere. It's not mentioned anywhere in that parable. But if you'll read on, the master of the house instructs the servant to go out into the highways and the hedges and to compel them to come in that that my house may be filled. I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you're from or what you've done. If you want to come to my supper and you want to honor me and obey me, you can come on in. See, the reality is that many of us are going to realize that their lives are empty with these things going on, everything that's happening in their life. They're going to fall at, at his feet and they're going to discover his lordship. They're going to be a people that are going to live fully because they've been forgiven much. And because of that love, they're going to instantly obey his authority. When those that have been introduced to it for a long time, we start, you know, we start making excuses for not simply obeying the Lord. And we allow areas of disobedience just because they're not exposed to areas of disobedience. But then when people come in that have been forgiven much and they understand the debt they owe to God, they're going to freely obey him. And the Lord said, that's the kind of spirit that I want. That's the kind of attitude that I want. They're going to obey his lordship and his authority because they understand the great work that he's done in our life. Let me tell you, there is something to be said to reminding yourself of where you would be without the goodness of God in your life. Because let me tell you what, if you'll constantly remind yourself of where you'd be without him, it'll take the strut. It'll take the hypocrisy. It'll take the self-righteousness out of your walk with God. And it'll keep you rooted and grounded and understand, God, I, I got to obey you. I'm here for no other reason your grace and mercy brought me this far and I won't make it through tomorrow without the same thing Lord your will be done your will be done I'll decrease so that you can increase in my life listen to Matthew 7 verse 21 not everyone that saith unto me Lord Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my father which is in heaven a lot of people are going to say Lord Lord but he said I'm not interested in you calling me your Lord what I'm interested in is you treating me as your Lord Unless you've done the will of my Father, I'm not really interested. If you love me, you'll what? You'll keep my command. If you will, oh, don't give me lip service. Live for me with the actions of your life. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? We've done some good things. And in thy name have we cast out devils? We've done some great things. And in thy name we've done wonderful works. And then, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. In other words, you had lawlessness in your life. Let's put it in layman's term. Depart from me, ye who did not obey the will of my Father. Notice the word did not say that he would, uh, what we would prefer it to say. Depart from me, ye who stole. Depart from me, ye who committed fornication. Depart from me, ye who committed adultery. Depart from me, ye who murdered. No, 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 it's quite sobering, isn't it? He doesn't say anything like that. He just said, depart from me, ye who would not submit to my divine authority. Woo. Both inherent and delicated. They've done a lot of good works and they're gonna miss out on heaven because they simply would not submit to the authority in their life. Now, last week we talked about that in rebellion there's bondage and in submission there is liberty. That's just the way the Lord has, 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 has made it to be. And I want to take it a step further here tonight. The devil wants you to think that the thing that opposes God's will is fulfilling and complete. But the reality is just the opposite. In, in, in John chapter 4 verse 34, Jesus states what fulfills him. He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. One commentary describes it like this. My meat to that which satisfies the strongest appetite of my soul is when I do the will of God. Let Let me break it down a little gently here tonight. The only way that you'll ever be completely satisfied in your soul when it comes to living for God and existing in the kingdom of God is when you submit to his authority and obey his will for your life. The writer's saying, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. My nourishment doesn't come from being used in the kingdom of God. My, my, my nourishment doesn't come from, from simply having my talents exercised. In the, I've seen a lot of talented people be used in the kingdom of God, but they're a derelict vessel. They're shipwrecked now because they would not submit to authority in their life. You can only be fulfilled when you fall under the umbrella of God's protection and authority in your life. There's no substitute for it. It's God's divine order. Now let's, let's go back to the psychologist's couch a little bit here tonight. Let me ask you again. What's the first thing you think of, of sin when I mention sin? I hope that the first thing that you're thinking of right now that you think of not submitting to the will of God, not submitting to divine authority because disobedience is sin. Now later in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus speaks about a man who had two sons He went to the first. He said, son, go today and work in my vineyard. And the boy said, I will not. We'd have had some trouble. (laughs) But later he repented and left what he was doing to go work in the vineyard. The second son said, I will go, sir. That sounds like a good son right there. But the Bible tells us he did not go. It was lip service only. He then asked them who did, who, who, who did what the father wanted and they answered correctly, the first one, the first one. Even though he said he wasn't, he repented and he went and done it. The next one said, I'm gonna do it. I got your back, sir, but he never went. And here's where Jesus went right for the jugular. He said, I tell you the truth, that publicans, tax collectors, harlots, 
go into the kingdom of God before you because you're telling me that you love me, but you won't do anything I ask you to do. These people aren't doing what I'm asking them to do right now, but before the roll is called up yonder, they're going to repent and they're going to obey me. But you're going to be lost because you're giving me lip service, but your heart is far from me. Well, I tell you, he went right to the heart of the matter, didn't he? I mean, right to the heart of the matter. Jesus was trying to shake them out of their their preconceived ideas about sin. I'm trying to do the same thing here tonight. He was saying, listen to me. You go to your synagogues, you give your sacrifices, you read your scriptures, but you're still living by your own self-will. You won't let me be Lord of all, and I'm telling you, I can't be Lord at all. You're going to stand before me and pull out your resume and your long list of kingdom accomplishments, and you're going to hear me say, depart from me because you would never submit to my authority. You never submitted to my authority. You were a stallion or a steed that could, that, could, that could run swiftly, but you were unbridled. You did just as much damage as you did good because you would never allow the bit to be put into your mouth. Matthew 24 and 12 says, Jesus is speaking about the last days. He said, I believe you would have to be spiritually blind not to know that we're living in the last days. Jesus said that we would know the season that we wouldn't know the day nor the hour, but we would know the season. Folks, I believe we're in that season. What's amazing is that in this, in this one chapter alone, Jesus repeats a phrase on four different occasions in this one chapter. He says repeatedly over and over again, be careful that you are not deceived. Be careful that you are not deceived deceive four different times in other words deception is going to run rampant in the last days you know there's only one problem with this deception you know what that is right it's deceiving (laughs) that's the problem with deception is that you really believe you're right when in reality you're in the wrong That's what Jesus said is going to happen when they come to the gates of heaven. He says, depart from me. You didn't do my will. You would not submit to my divine authority. You're going to lose out because you were deceived. When you read the letter written to the churches in Revelations, they believed they were saved, but they were not. He said to one of them, you have a name that says you're alive, but you're dead. You think you're saved, but you're going to be vomited out of my mouth. The church in the last days, we must be alerted to the fact That in these days that we live in, there's going to be a massive deception affecting the church. And it's the deception that we can confess him with our mouth and still have the blessings of God without knowing him in our heart. The Bible says in that day, speaking of the Old Testament, prophesying about the coming days that we're in. And that day, seven women shall lay hold upon one man and they shall say, we will buy our own apparel. We will buy our own bread. Basically, we're going to take care of ourselves, but let us be called by your name. In other words, you know, we want the benefit of have your having your name, but we don't want to put the work in the intimacy and the relationship. Just call us by your name only and let us live in any way that we want to live and we see that happening in the kingdom of God and, 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 and among churches today they want to have the name on their church but they don't want to have the relationship and the lifestyle to back up that name but if we're going to make a difference in the city of Louisville we just can't, we just can't be in relation just with name only amen we've got we to gotta pay the price and have the intimate loving relationship with God too it's a package deal we've got to have it all all together 
Paul told Timothy that one of the things that's going to mark the last, last days is deception. The difficult times are going to be because you're going to have people in church that still love themselves. They love their money. They love pleasure. They're unthankful. They're unholy. They're unforgiving. And they're going to have a form of godliness, but they're going to deny its power. What power is he talking about? That power that changes us from ungodly to godly, from unholy to holy, from unthankful to thankful. That power that changes us from a lover of self to a lover of others. That power that changes us from a pleaser of self to a pleaser of God. Amen. A, a, a religion that's based on the flesh is not going to bring about real change in the lives of the people. A religion that's based around a manageable deity or a manageable God or a God that simply places no, no demands on the follower's life is, is a God that has no power to change or create goodness in the lives of the followers. Paul said these people will ever be learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. They're going to go from camp meeting to camp meeting and church service to church service and seminar to seminar. In other words, they're going to have a, 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 a vast knowledge of spiritual information by the whole time missing the fundamental thing of Christianity. And that is, I've got to be submitted to the Lord. I've got to submit to the Lord. I've got to submit to his word and to his will for my life. I've got to, I've got to submit to the Lord. Somebody needs to hear what I have to say tonight. You need to give up your will and give in to the Lord and unleash the protection and the provision of God in your life through submitting to his lordship. Everything will change if you'll do that. Matthew 24 and 12 says, and because of iniquity or lawlessness shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. And because of iniquity or lawlessness because people want to please themselves and they don't want restrictions. They, 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 they don't want a God with demands. They want to be able to manage their deity. And because of iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall grow cold. Now, how, how many would agree that lawlessness is abounding in our society today? Even though the statement may reflect the condition of society, Jesus is not talking about society. He's talking about the church. So we got to let the word of God prove itself. Notice the word love was used in this verse. There, there are many Greek words translated into, um, into love in the New Testament. And uh, one of them would be filio, uh, brotherly love, or, or love of kindness, or eros. It's an attraction love, uh, 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 sensual, sexual in nature. Storge, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awe type of love. It's a, it's a love or respect or admiration you'd have for a hero or a sports figure. Um, and the world and the church shares all these types of love, but there's another love the world cannot share, and it's called agape love. It's a godly love. This is the love that Jesus said would be shed abroad in our hearts when we're born again. It's the love that Jesus said the world cannot receive. In this verse, Jesus did not use the word filio or storge or eros, but he used agape because lawlessness abounds. The agape love of many will wax cold. Their love for God and love for each other are going to grow cold because the flesh is going to drown it out. And then in verse 13, it further solidifies that he's talking about the church. He says, he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Now, you wouldn't say that to somebody who hasn't even started the race. Well, you need to keep enduring. Well, they haven't even started the race. You would most likely say that to someone who's already started the race. If you endure, you're going to be saved. Now, I'm going to say this through our traveling experiences. 
I can honestly say that the words of Jesus were being fulfilled. Because I can tell you what most people's attitudes towards submission is, is I will submit just as long as I agree. I'll submit to God's inherent authority. I'll submit to God's delegated authority as long as I agree. Now listen to me closely here tonight. The rubber's meeting the road. Submission doesn't even begin until there's a disagreement. Let me say it again. Submission doesn't even begin until there's a disagreement. You don't know you're submitted until you're asked to withhold or to step back. I've had people tell me, Pastor, you know, I've always done what you've asked except for this. You know I'm submitted. I've always been submitted except for this. These people fail to understand submission doesn't even reveal itself until it goes against your self-will. Submission doesn't reveal itself until it goes against what we want. What you're really saying is, is Pastor, you've never said anything that I didn't like until now. Instead of saying, I've always agreed with you up till now, what they're really saying is, what you've asked up to now has never crossed what I've wanted. Now, I know it may have been hard for other people, but you, know, but, but, but you finally touched on something I just don't simply agree with. Now, there's a couple of important questions you got to talk about when you talk about deception or the root cause of deception. Why would the enemy want, want us to, to be deceived and not submit to the authority of God? Because he wants us outside of the umbrella of protection of God. You go to James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, but be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. In other words, you got to believe the word of God over everything else. The word of God better be the highest and utmost authority in your life. What a powerful principle. James is saying that when someone hears the word but decides not to do it, deception enters their heart. You got to obey the word of the Lord. The second question is, is why is lawlessness going to run rampant in the last days? Thessalonians 2 and 10 says, and with all deceivableness of righteousness, of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received, here it is, not the love of truth that they might be saved. They never loved truth. They never loved absolute. They never loved the higher or the ultimate authority in their life. Let me slow down for a moment. I want this really to sink in. Lawlessness will run rampant in our churches because people will simply not love truth. It doesn't mean they don't love hearing it. It means they don't love obeying it. Preach it, preacher! And then walk out and pay no attention to what the preacher has preached. That's why you hear men of God say when a love for holiness is thrown out of a church and self-rule is the call of the day, truth always follows. Can I tell you, in my, my lifetime, that is the case every single time. There are no exceptions to the rule. It's exactly what Paul, Paul told Timothy. They will be lovers of their own selves and lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Deception will affect individuals and whole congregations because they love themselves more then they love God. That's the bottom line. I want what I want more than I want what God wants in my life. Listen to what God said to his prophet Ezekiel. As for you, son of man, the children of our people, they are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. They like you, Ezekiel. 
They speak to one another. Everyone say unto his brother, please come and hear what the word is that come from the Lord. Ezekiel, you're doing a good job. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth, they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain, Ezekiel. Look at verse number 32. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. Oh, they love hearing what you're saying. For they hear thy words, but they do not do them. They love hearing it, but they have no intention of obeying. God's telling Ezekiel that they love hearing your voice. You're pretty good at what you do but they're not going to obey your voice because they love themselves more than they love you. They love themselves more than they love the Lord. There are too many people in our churches that love the idea of good preaching and teaching, but they do not love the idea of obeying good preaching and teaching. We got to love truth more than anything else or more than anyone else. Then we will delight in putting our personal desires aside for his wishes. Now there's another factor to consider when understanding why lawlessness will run rampant. Second Thessalonians 2 and 7, for the secret power of lawlessness, he says, is already at work. Paul's talking about a secret power of lawlessness being at work in the last days. The, the King James, New King James Version translates it like this, the mystery of lawlessness. There's something, there's something mysterious. There's something powerful about lawlessness. Here's how you understand this. You see, the mystery of lawlessness is in its secret power. It's just telling us there is a power in lawlessness. Satan is a master of deception. Think about it. He led a third of the angels in an uprising against God. Jesus warned that Satan was not only a deceiver, but the father of the craft of deception. He went on to warn us that Satan's delusions and deceptions would become so strong in the latter days that for the elect's sake, the days would be shortened. Jesus tried to warn Peter that Satan desired to sift him, to separate him from God. But I'm glad that his, that his word said that we are not ignorant of his devices. In 2 Corinthians, Paul makes a statement about Eve and her failure. He said, if we will study how Eve was deceived, it's going to give you an insight into Satan's best shot. Us, what do you mean? Well, let's explain it here just a little bit further before we, before we shut it down here tonight. The deception of Eve is without doubt one of Satan's greatest feats. She lived in a perfect environment. He walked into a garden where they had communed with the very presence of God. They beheld his glory. There, there was no oppression. There was no sin. She had, she had never been abused by her boss. She, she had never been abused by her husband or her father. Her heart had not been assaulted by jealousy or bitterness. There was no rivalry in her life. He walked into a perfect environment that was permeated by the presence of God and deceived that woman. Now, I believe if we can understand how he deceived Eve, then we can see what his best shot is for us today. It hasn't changed. It's his, it's his weapon of choice. So in 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, Paul says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his craftiness, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity is in Christ is if you'll just do what he says, everything's going to be all right. 
But Satan is crafty. He tries to make you think that it's not always a bad thing not to do exactly what God has asked you to do. But he says, if you'll keep it simple and just take God at his word, keep it simple. Paul wrote this to the Corinthian church. He said, I'm afraid that the same way Satan deceived Eve, he's going to deceive you. Look at Genesis 2 and 16. God placed man in the garden and the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. These words were spoken to Adam and then a time later after he viewed and named all the animals, the woman was taken out of him. But unlike Adam, she did not. We have no, rec no, no, no recollection of her hearing this directly from God. So he had to convey it to Adam as, as they were in the garden and enjoying God's presence. But God's emphasis to Adam is you can freely eat from every tree. And there are a lot of trees in the garden. You can hear his generosity. You can hear the goodness in this verse. The focus is on all the trees, not just the one. Are you getting this? He's telling Eve or telling Adam, I'm a giver. Look at all the trees I'm giving you. Yet his authority is restrained. It's restraining them from one tree. So the emphasis of the command is look at all you can eat, not look at what you cannot eat. I'm a giver, not a taker. Watch what happens when the serpent comes in in Genesis 3 and 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now let me, let me modernize this a little bit. Satan walks up and starts sarcastically says so you can't eat from every tree huh he doesn't say look at all the good trees you have he says can't have that one tree can you god's not a giver he's a taker so the serpent gets her eyes off of all the things she can do and only the one thing she cannot can i tell you people have walked out of church and walked out on god over some of the simplest standards doesn't even make good sense that people would get upset over some of the things they get upset over and they miss all the bounty they miss all the wonderful things in their life because satan gets them on the one thing now i'm, I'm getting ahead of myself let's 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 move on here a little bit a little bit further here tonight what he's really trying to do is bring god's motive into question he's power hungry god doesn't love you he doesn't have your best interests at heart. He's trying to keep good things from you. He's trying to pervert the character of God in her eyes. He's trying to make God look like a taker instead of a giver. His motive is to get her to quit looking at all that she can eat and focus on the one thing she cannot eat. No wonder the Bible says it over and over again. Be thankful, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. Don't miss this because if you keep your eye on all the things that he has given you, you won't get obsessed with the one thing he says you can't have. But in spite of his generosity, in spite of his giving character, because of the self-will, people still don't look at true Christian liberty. They don't look at authority. They don't look at submission. They don't look at holiness as protection and liberty. They look at it as restraint by authority. Somebody just wants power. Somebody just wants to manipulate. Somebody wants control. You're falling under the same spell that Eve fell under. And they... They, they, they push against the authority, the delegated authority of God because they're transfixed on the one thing that they're being asked to abstain from. Right. Now, nobody be offended. I, I'm teaching on a very tough subject and I'm trying to make it as palatable as, 
as possible, okay? But I'm trying to save souls here tonight too, right? So please don't be offended about what I'm about to say. I want to say this in the best possible way that I can. I've seen people pout or obsess over something they couldn't do. A, 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 a standard the pastor has asked the church to adhere to uh, or strength that was put on them by authority because the authority felt like God had spoke to them and said that for this moment and this time we need to abstain from this and, and we need to be careful about this and I've seen people pout and obsess about it to such an extent that it affected their faithfulness to the house of God it affected their worship. It affected their ability to be used by God. It affected their ability to submit to the authority of God and thus eventually it affects their walk with God. It ends up affecting their salvation. Why do some people constantly struggle with these things? It's because they've been convinced that God and the pastor are just unjust in their demands. Satan just convinced Eve that God is not just. I know he's given you 99 trees, but that one tree, he's unjust. There's got to be an angle. There's got to be an alternative motive. That pastor just wants to be involved too much in your life. They're unjust in their demands. You see, Satan is trying to make the Lord appear unjust. So it goes after the very foundation of God's throne. Psalms 97 and 2 states that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. That righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne, but yet people lose out with God with a bitter spirit because they feel like that God is not righteous, God is not fair, and the pastor is too demanding. But the word of God says his very foundation is righteousness and justice. She corrects the serpent to her good. In Genesis 3 and 2, and the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now we know that God told Adam not to eat it. We never heard where God told Adam that he couldn't touch it. But I believe out of love and protection for Eve, Adam evidently, I mean, there's no other way to look at it than to think that Adam evidently tells her, don't even touch it. But Satan was so deceiving that he got Eve to step out from under the umbrella of protection. He got her to step out from both umbrellas. First of all, God said, don't, don't, don't eat it. That's the umbrella of God's inherent direct authority. He got her to step out from what God had said. And then Adam told her, we're not even going to touch it. That's the, that's the delegated authority. That's the authority that God had put into her life. He got her to step out from underneath the inherent authority of God. And then he manipulated her to step out from the authority of her husband. He got her to go against what God had said. And he got her to go against what the delegated authority of God, what God had put into her life. He got her to step out from underneath both of their protective authority. Now make no mistake about it. It's Hebrews 13 and 17 is not in the Bible by accident. It's not just filler. He says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they must give an account. It was written for our protection. Eve corrects and reiterates what God had said. 
She says, you know, it's possible that while she's stating what the Lord said, it raises a doubt in her mind. You know, it does look good. I, I, I don't know why we can't eat from that tree. I, I don't know what could be the harm in it. Uh, what's in it that could possibly be bad for us? And then Satan seizes on this moment of disobedience to contradict God's word. He boldly undermines God's authority and says, you will not surely die. For God knows your eyes are going to be open and you'll be like God knowing both good and evil. Now this next point is it's very important that you understand. He gets her to reason that this is a good thing. Can I tell you that when you are taken into sin, the enemy will always get you to reason that it's not as bad as it is. Eve, if you take of that fruit, it's really not a bad thing. It gets you to reason away the authority of God. He gets you to justify that it's really a good thing that you're doing. You're doing a good thing by not submitting to the pastor. You're doing a good thing by not doing this and that. I, 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 I know I'm rebelling a little, but this will be a good thing. I know I'm, I'm not doing anything bad. Notice, he doesn't draw her with the evil. He draws her with the good. He's not drawing her with drugs and alcohol and fornication, but he's drawing her with something good. You're going to be enlightened. This is going to be beneficial to you. And Satan is still working on God's children with the same method. How many people in the body of Christ have been coerced or deceived into sin because they're convinced that there's got to be something good in the sin? I'm closing, but I'm reminded that Samson took a vow. He handled his vow carelessly before the Lord. He took a vow that he would not touch anything unclean, that he would not touch a dead carcass. The Bible says that one day while he was walking that a lion came out to him. He slew that lion. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He slew that lion, that which was meant to kill him, and he threw it to the side of the road. And over the course of time, that lion was there, that which tried to kill him. Um, the bees started forming a honeycomb in that carcass as it was decaying. And all of a sudden, there looked like a little sweetness in it. And, and, and Samson would walk by it from occasion. And, and, and it didn't look as bad as it did the first time it tried to kill him. And the Bible says there was an occasion that he was weary and he was tired. And he happens up on which tried to kill him just a few months ago. And he looks at the carcass of the lion. But now, it doesn't look as bad. And he sees some honey in it. And he goes back to what God said, don't touch. And he tries to pull a little bit of good out of it and he reaches into the carcass of the lion to get some honey at the moment he defiled himself look you you no matter how much the devil tries to convince you you can't ever pull good out of what god has called bad and even though it don't look as bad today you need to remind yourself of what it was trying to do to your family last month last year five years ago if it if it if it was up to no good back then it's up to no good today and he, he reached back in he he just there's good this ain't a bad i know god said don't do it but there's there's some there's some there's some there's some good there's some good in it so he's still working on us the same way how many people in the body of christ have been coerced or deceived into join somebody else's calls against authority with the notion that we're doing something honorable or doing something good God wants to remind us that rebellion in any shape or form is dishonorable and it's always a bad thing. See, there's a lot of things that humanity reasons is good, but it still goes against the authority of God, which makes it bad. So humanity reasons is good, a lot of bad things, they go against the authority of God, just trying to find some good. The problem is, now, 
get over what I just said and get this right here. That humanity has substituted the principle of reasoning for the principle of obedience. But, no, no but, just obey. Well, just obey. What I don't really understand, just obey. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. But, no, 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 just obey. But we substituted reasoning. Brother Merritt put something profound. I mean, I I wish I'd have told him, but I didn't. He put it on Facebook a few weeks ago, and he's teaching tonight. Um, uh, our, children, the, our, our, our young people the last two Wednesday nights he's talking about um, fences and holiness and um, there's a, a private link YouTube that the parents can get on and if you wanted to if you wanted to see the lessons you can go to Brother Merritt and he can, he can probably get you on that where you can see those lessons but he wrote something down and uh, shared it and I thought it was profound he said that you can argue your way out of holiness you can try to study your way out of holiness but you can't pray your way out of holiness you can argue for not submitting. You can study your way. You can reason your way out of submitting. But you can never pray yourself out from underneath the authority that God has put in your life. There's only one place that you'll go from on your knees. You'll stay right underneath the umbrella of God's protection. Amen. Amen. Let's stand here tonight. So don't substitute the principle of reasoning for the principle of obedience. Satan Satan plays to Eve's reasoning. Instead of dying, you're going to become like God. It's not a bad thing. You'll be able to choose for yourself what is good or what is evil because you're going to be wise. You won't have to hear anything secondhand anymore. You won't be subjected to any unfair commands. And Eve started thinking, why would God keep this from me? Why would God keep that tree from me? It looks as good as the rest of the fruit, and it'll make me wise. Well, I wonder what else God is not telling me. I wonder what else God is withholding from me. And now it's too late to go back. She's been blinded by fleshly reason. Fleshly reason has crippled her thought process. And what she learned the hard way and that many of us have to learn too, that God's authority or God's command are not subject to our reasoning or analyzing. They're for us to obey. And then James comes along and says, do not err, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variables, neither shadow of don't ever worry about him taking advantage of you. There's no variable of turning. It's there, there's no shadows in him. He's, he's just every time, every perfect and every good gift is coming. Don't let the enemy think that he's withholding something from you. James says, get it in your minds and settle it in your heart. Don't be deceived like Eve. Settle it right now. There's nothing good for me outside of the will of God. He convinced her that there's good things outside of the will of God. James says, don't let the enemy convince you there's goodness outside the will of God. There is nothing good for me outside of the will or the authority of God. Look at your neighbor and say, I will not be deceived. I am I'm not going to be deceived into self-will or self-rule. I'm not going to do it. But Lord, we need your help in this area of our life.
This is not easy for us. This is not natural for us. This is not something that's palatable. This is not something that comes easy, but it's the will of God. And it's the only way that you'll have the true protection of God on your life. Let's lift our hands right now. Let's ask the Lord to help us in this area. We love you tonight, Lord. We need you tonight. I'm so thankful for your goodness and your mercies, Lord. Oh, we want to be under your umbrella of protection, Lord. Our homes, our families, our relationships, our children, our marriages, Lord, our ministries, oh God, our talents, Lord. We want to be submitted, God, more than anything. We want your will to be done in our life. Help us, I pray. We want your blessings, oh God. We want your hand of protection, God. Nobody can do that but you. God, nobody can protect protect me and my family like you can Lord I want your blessings on my life Lord I want to hear well done Lord I want to honor you I need your help in these areas of my life oh God search us Lord know us God speak to us over the next few weeks Lord help us I pray Lord to lay our our will on the altar Lord and to say not my will but thy will be done Lord thank you Jesus everybody say in Jesus name Amen, amen. God bless you. I love you. Appreciate every, each and every one of you. Amen. We'll see you later. Got you covered. <laughs>